Hello and welcome to another episode of the European VC, your podcast for insights into European venture investing. Broadcasting from Portugal, I am David, and as always, I am joined by Andreas, who is tuning in from Denmark. Hi, David. Hi, everyone. I'd like to start by reminding all our listeners that you can always suggest topics and guests for future episodes. You can do that through LinkedIn or at the EuropeanVC.com. Also, to all of you who might be about to raise an international round, do feel free to reach out for an introduction to relevant VCs. We're happy to help you wherever we can. Today, we are joined by Pedro Vieira. Pedro is a scientist turned founder, turned investor with a deep experience in the tech world. Pedro was one of the founders of Good Guide, which ended up becoming one of the world's largest sources of information on the health, environmental, and social impacts of consumer products, which was later acquired by Underwriters Laboratories. With his triumph under his belt, Pedro went to create West to West, a not-for-profit that helps create and support a thriving environment for Portuguese entrepreneurship in the San Francisco Bay area. Pedro is equally passionate about sharing knowledge and expertise, and is currently Europe and Africa lead at 500 Startups, where he is working with governments in building up their ecosystems and training and aligning all relevant stakeholders. Pedro brings together both operational and investing experience, and is an investor and advisor for startups on both sides of the Atlantic, such as TalkDesk, Hype Labs, ProdSmart, Utrust, Agroup, and Climate Health. Pedro, welcome to the European VC. Thank you for hosting me, guys. Thank you for the invitation. Pedro, you know, we always kick it off on the personal side, and we've done some digging on you for this one. <laughs> We'd like to ask you, would you care to share your expertise in the duck business with us? Because that's a, that's a weird track record. <laughs> that was a good starting point. Yeah, that came up in one of the previous interviews, indeed. As a kid, I grew up in a poor family or a low-class family, and I had to make, you know, for my own and buy my toys. So the duck business was something that I did early on, like Like as a pre-teenager with my best friend and we just decided to just raise some ducks in my parents' backyards and sell them. It was a family and friends business. Can't claim, can't claim a big exit on that one. <laughs> well, we, we all have to start somewhere. But jokes apart, your journey is really inspiring, Pedro. You come from humble origins, as you just said, small city in a small European country, and you ended up in the tech mecca of the world and exit your venture successfully there. Last time we spoke, you shared with us your passion for sharing knowledge and expertise with less experiencing entrepreneurs. And I know that this is what got you to start West to West. But would you care to elaborate and tell us more about your story here? Definitely. So the Portuguese diaspora is all over the world, but we are a small country. So the diaspora itself, in some cases, spread thin. So in San Francisco, when I got there for grad school, and then when I was starting the company, there was a big diaspora, some of it in tech, but a lot of it not in tech. And so the few of us there, actually felt that there was a need to create like this network to support Portuguese entrepreneurs who are trying to make or to cross the chasm, either to come to Silicon Valley to raise money or look for partners or look for business deals. And so we just set up West to West as this network of people that are either linked to the diaspora directly by blood links or blood ties or by friendship, and they wanted to help Portuguese founders. And so the mission has been the same from the beginning, just to help bridge between Portugal and, and Silicon Valley. The name indicates broader goals and we'll continue helping however many people we can. You're not saying it yourself, but it's been quite a success. The Portuguese mafia is something I've heard said about you guys in Silicon Valley. It's a private thing. Now you made it public. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's what I do. Sorry. Uh, Pedro, uh, that, that's really cool. And I can really relate to the mission, what you're doing at West to West. And as a Portuguese guy myself, you know, it's really exciting to know that there's that ecosystem in place. And I, I've actually reached out to you saying one day uh, I'll ask for something. And as you said, you know, even though right now you're focusing on connecting Portugal to the U.S., the ambition is bigger. Well, at least the name shows that, right? It's connecting the West Coast of these two beautiful continents. Uh, Europe and North America. And so with that in mind, and knowing that you have some opinions on this, I'd love to have you share your take on the contrasting characteristics of the European and the US ecosystems. Well, I mean, there, there are many, many levels. Maybe we can focus on the key ones. I think we have different profiles of LPs, different profiles of startups, and different profiles of founding teams, if you will. I, I, I think I would point out those three things. On the LPs, obviously, we know that the disparity of, of capital available, and we can talk about that later, but the profile of the LPs itself is very different. I mean, in Europe, you have probably two, three times more public money from government agencies involved in the ecosystem, which comes with pros and cons. You have probably two, three times less pension funds involved. So it's different profiles of LPs injecting money in the system, and that will have consequences along the way. The profile of the startups themselves then is also impacted by that because availability of capital determines how you grow your company. But the profile of the startups is also impacted by the nature of the markets where they have to scale. And while we're talking about them growing in Europe, then expanding to Asia or to the US later, that also leads to having different profiles of startups in Europe versus the US. Would you care to elaborate on that? How do you see the profiles differ as a function of the LP difference? Because the LPs themselves in the nature of the capital that they bring in, for example, public versus private capital, then influences the, or can influence, unfortunately, the risk profile of the company. And by doing that, then you may limit its ability to scale as fast as they would in the US where their sources of capital are fully private or mostly private. And it sets up a different mindset. I think I was reading this the other day. It's more like the mindset of, we invest in your company because you may succeed, which is the US, And we invest in your company because you're succeeding, which is more the you. I, I hate to make, you know, stereotypes like this because there's pretty good investors in the EU that think with the US mindset and the other way around. There's bad investors in the US too. But, you know, overall, the point is, I think the nature of the capital and its risk profile then can impact the risk profile of the company. Because we, I mean, at the end of the day, founders do have to report to VCs and VCs report to LPs. So it's a, it's a chain. And then the third point on that list was the profile of the founding teams themselves. And for this one, I don't have stats, but I have the feeling from having worked in the two sides of the ocean that I seem to see more technical teams in the EU side. A lot of science and technology that's being created in some of the leading universities, for example, trying to make it to the commercial space, but with usually big gaps on the commercial side. And I think that's the big difference for the U.S., definitely. The founding teams having significant gaps on the ability to commercialize the IP that they have. I completely concur. It definitely fits the bill with what I've seen in Denmark as well. Pedro, I'd love for you to go a bit deeper then on how you at 500 work with these very technical teams in Europe. Do you have a completely different setup in Europe versus the U.S. now that you have notified or seen this management gap? Yeah, I mean, so the programs are 500, even though there's a core set of subjects and things that we know companies around the world need. 
we always adjust them to the needs of the local markets. And so definitely some of the programs we're doing in Europe, we have that into consideration and we focus probably more of our time on topics of scale in this digital distribution and user acquisition online, but also enterprise deals and enterprise sales and things that we know the companies need more help with. You raise a really interesting point, Pedro. Actually, I was thinking with my own buttons right now, and I realized that we had two guests touching on this already. So one was Stefan Moraes, a fellow Portuguese DC, and also more in a later episode, Willem McKillen from Frontline Venture. So Irish VC, and it's about the LP landscape in Europe. And you explained it quite simply, I would say, almost as a pyramid, right? The, the LPs affect the VCs, which affect the founders, you know? And so what is your view on this? Are we in Europe hindered in terms of our capacity to finance innovation and technology? Or is it just a different context? The follow-up question to that would maybe be, what can we do? And maybe this is taking the discussion to a more policy perspective, but I would love to have your take on that. Yeah. I don't think the LPs, nor the VCs, nor the startups need to adjust to be, you know, more like, more Silicon Valley-like. Definitely, I think each of these uh, groups has to work with what they have in the context that they're in. And so I don't think it, the solution is to bring Silicon Valley rules and best practices to the rest of the world. They need to be adjusted. For LPs in particular, like I was saying, I mean, when you have probably two, three times more public money in the EU versus the US, when it comes to early stage VC, definitely the risk profile of that public money needs to be or could be improved in the way it is being deployed in the ecosystem, the multiple ecosystems around Europe could be made more effective, more agile, if you will, to use part of the terminology here. More capital helps. We were talking about it just before, right? When you have, I mean, in Europe, you have probably, I don't know, I, I don't know what was the stat, but something like 30%, roughly a third of startups in the world are in Europe, but only about like, I don't know, 15% or 20% of unicorns are in Europe. In that partially is driven or maybe driven by, by less capital available because you have, I don't know, you have three to four times more VC money in the US than in Europe. So more capital helps in Europe, obviously, but the profile of that capital of the LPs behind that capital being more agile and more understanding of technology needs is also a thing to improve. I think that the LPs in Europe need to be more evangelized about technology, about the risk profile of investing in technology, whereas in the US you may have them ready and ripe for investing in, in VC funds. How do you see VCs being able to do this? How can we get closer to a stage where we have VC or have LPs ready to invest in technology-driven companies or VCs investing in this space? Yeah, I mean, it's an evolution, right? So if we look at Silicon Valley, it didn't. it's not an overnight success. So, I mean, there's been decades in the making where this was in the making and everyone in the Valley or the US has had plenty of time to learn. And I think that's happening in Europe. What I've been saying is it sounds pretty negative in a way or that there's a lot of room for improvement in Europe. Definitely right. But there is progression, right? And if you look at the stats, I gave you like a specific number static in time for the pension fund involvement in the system. But the pension funds in Europe have deployed more capital, two to three times more capital in the last three to five years now. So th there's progression in the positive uh, direction. 
And I think we will get there, but we just need time. VCs need to play their role, educating the LPs and doing this evangelization work that I was talking about. And I think we'll get there. And, and it's like the circle of life. You know, we talk about the circle of life for founders that get to liquidity and then invest and become VCs and invest. Same thing with VCs, they may become LPs or they may exchange experiences. And so people will learn along the way. We just need more time. To that point that you just raised, you know, we don't want to sound too negative, right? And if I'm not mistaken, and I might have the numbers wrong here, so sorry if that's the case, but I think it's like 40 to 50% of money being deployed into European startups has public origin. So it's public money. And so we do need to throw some love into that, right? Obviously, there's a lot of effort being done. And maybe that's something I'd like to also have your take on. You know, there's obviously room for improvement, but would you highlight anything you've seen that is particularly well done or that you looked, wow, these guys, you know, this is really walking in the right direction. You mean on the public side or on the public side? Yeah. Well, with my 500 EU hat, I can't point out or single out specific countries. I would feel bad about it. But the cases where I see it happening or working better is the countries where you have the creation of a fund of funds that then allows the capital to be deployed by professional teams. And that's, I mean, with no, um, how, how do I say this in a politically correct way? Professional investors know how to deploy capital into the VC space better than public servants. They play different roles. And so the cases where I think that this is working better is when you see that public capital be actually deployed through professional investment team. Yeah, definitely. With, with, with agile, like I was saying earlier also, yeah. with agile rules and not in a bureaucratic way. So yeah. because the companies, to our point earlier of scaling fast and be able to be competitive in the global market, not just the EU market, they need to scale fast. So it's like, you know, capital is like the gasoline being pumped into the engine, if it doesn't get pumped fast enough, the engine goes slower. So we need these public monies to be deployed in an agile, flexible way and fast. I would love to follow up on that point about it being flexible, because in Europe, we see a lot of the government money coming with hard strings attached, especially with regards to geography. And we all know that 500 startups are working quite globally. So how have you been able to work with governments, even though you definitely don't just focus on one geography? Yeah, that's a a terrific question. So what we do is we operate at different layers in a way. So 500 has regional hubs in regional funds, and those operate in those regional contexts. But then we have global funds anchored in the US and deployed from there, but investing around the world. So we start off, if you will, in the local regional context, understanding the founders and the local capital there and the local policy there, helping them at that level. And then in the second stage, we help them scale, whether through partnerships with local partners with deeper pockets or with our own global funds. So that's how we set it up. Yeah, that's interesting. There's another thing that row that I'd love to dive more into about your work in 500 startups. And that is if you go a bit deeper into your model with working closely with governments to build up the individual ecosystems of governments or around states. And I would really love to understand better the thinking and strategy behind the model and the synergies that you're trying to develop and harvest. Yeah. Again, another great question because it goes back to the core of 500. 500 was one of the first Silicon Valley investors to be investing outside Silicon Valley. It was started in 2010 and right there a year we started making investments in other continents. 
And right now the portfolio is very diversified geographically, companies in over 70 countries, right? And so what we do to your question on the local governments is our favorite modus operandi is to work with local governments in building up capacity at all levels, not just investing in the best founders, which ultimately that's what we want to do as an investment company, but actually starting by training the different stakeholders in the ecosystem so that the investors know how to invest in an effective, efficient way so that the founders obviously know how to scale their companies faster so that the policymakers understand the role of the policies that they're designing in the whole ecosystem, the LP. So we have basically training programs and initiatives for all these different things. And so our ideal scenario is to work with a local government or a regional government to train all these pieces of the puzzle and set it up nicely so that then a year, two years, three years down the road, we can actually be just in our favorite role, which is the role of an investor who has close ties to that region and will continue helping, but become an investor. We don't come to a country to replace existing accelerators or existing investors. We come there to create capacity with everyone in a local partnership and then eventually evolve to just be the investor we want to be in the future. Pedro, am I then right in perceiving your company structure such that you have one organization that is doing the ecosystem building and that's a company in itself and then you've got the funds on top of that or besides that? Exactly. So those are two groups but work in a synergy. It's like we have this flywheel concept that we like to refer to frequently internally when we talk about our strategy. We believe that this that I just described to you of our involvement with the local governments and helping build up these ecosystems around the world will help feed into the mission of the investment side of 500. And so it is synergetic from the beginning. And 500, like I said, has always believed from the beginning that, that there's very good deals and very good founders outside Silicon Valley, outside the U.S., Fortunately, now more VCs around the world and more American VCs are catching up to that and they're doing the same because we need more capital deployed in that way. Maybe going a bit off, <laughs> off script here, but just out of sheer curiosity, have you seen cases of foreigner VCs and maybe let's focus on American VCs? What are they doing to build relationships here in Europe? Because this transatlantic kind of operation isn't always easy, even operationally. So have you seen kind of good cases? And if so, could you share also for eventual listeners that are not based in Europe, but would like to strengthen their connection here? We've seen different things. We've seen examples of VCs trying to set up their own office in London, Berlin, you know, some worked, some didn't for different reasons. I think that sometimes it works because the team is right. Sometimes it doesn't work because the local context is different. We've seen some of them just working in co-investment partnerships. We've seen some of them become LPs into UVCs as a way to feed their funnel or start to learn. I'd rather not go into examples, but the models, I think all of them work or fail. I don't think there's a single one that's the best way to do it. It really depends on your company structure because if you go back Like way back in time, even DFJ had this concept of different regional funds. And, you know, in some cases it worked, some cases maybe it didn't. 500 has funds around the world. Uh, they all operate slightly different. And so it depends on the mission of the company. You've seen guys more recently moving in from the Valley and setting up new offices in London. This was pre-Brexit. I don't know if Brexit is going to change that their thinking or not. But I think the most important thing, regardless of the model chosen, is that 
whoever leads the efforts in Europe understands the local context in the European markets, which is so much different than the US. And like I said earlier, just flat out bringing US approach and US best practices to the investment scene in Europe may actually not be the best approach. Pedro, I'd just like to go back to your structure and the whole strategy with you working with ecosystems. I'm, of course, curious to understand how do the LPs perceive this and how do you communicate it to them? I would say the LPs actually like this approach very much. And it also opens up a lot of opportunities for us in terms of LPs around the world. So even if our core investment team is in the US and then we have the investment teams for the regional funds around the world, obviously, they can leverage this ecosystems network to find other LPs outside the US. And these LPs then become more understanding of the whole tech scene because they interact with our ecosystems team in their region, in their country. So again, synergetic and LPs may, and we have cases of that where LPs that are non-American LPs through interaction with our programs around the world became an LP into the 500 funds. So Pedro, we always round our episodes off with a quick fire round, quick answer questions, and then quick 30 to 60 second answers. Let's go for it. So first question, in a nutshell, as an angel investor yourself, what's your personal investment thesis? So I invest so early that my thesis is I need to understand the founder of or the founding team very well and, and why they're solving that problem. That's the first thing, why they're solving the problem. Obviously, after that, I'll go into, you know, is the problem worth solving? And is there enough people willing to pay to get the problem solved, as all other investors should? But I really connect with investors at a very personal level because I invest very small checks as an angel. And so I need to understand why they're doing it and if it makes sense. Second question, and you kind of covered this already, but let's go back to it again. What do you think is most important in promoting a stronger European VC ecosystem? I think that, you know, so recapping what we mentioned earlier, more capital helps, but making it more agile and especially the public capital making it deployed in a professional way with agile rules. It will help also, something we didn't talk about, which is like the shared markets experience and the shared regulation experience. We didn't get to that earlier, but that is obviously one of the biggest challenges for companies when they're scaling in Europe is that we're a common market, but we're not a common market. And we have common regulation, but we don't have common regulation, right? So making some progress there would help them grow faster. And then more support for the founders. I think that in Silicon Valley, one of the things you have is, you know, high density of talent and at all levels, VCs, LPs, and founders. In Europe, you have obviously things more dispersed and there's no mega hub in a way obviously you can always refer to london berlin etc but because it's more dispersed because there's less density i think the vcs need to play a bigger role in helping their portfolio companies with the networking and with the talent acquisition and all of those challenges that i think are bigger in in europe compared to the US. I'm now going to completely derail <laughs> the quick fire round. So that's on me because you said something that is really interesting. So you said obviously capital and the way the capital is deployed. So agile capital, let's call it like that for simplicity's sake. But then you also talked about the market. And this is something that I have actually a strong opinion about because as an example, a company that's based in the East Coast of North America selling to the West Coast there's no issue whatsoever, but a company that is based in Portugal selling to, to Poland or Germany, you know, it's much more complex. And this is your point of the single market. You know, the potential of the single market is huge, but sometimes as a, a small time, first time founder, it 
sometimes doesn't feel like a single market, right? Would you care to expand a bit? How do you see these challenges can be tackled, whether it's a policy or from an individual VC perspective? I, I don't know. To which side do you tend more? I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a silver bullet and it will depend on the challenge we're trying to address. If it's really just a matter of cultural differences that impact the sales process that can obviously be addressed by having local sales teams that understand the local context with the other challenges that, you know, having sales teams around multiple countries is harder to manage. But that's one thing. So you have to make the sales and the user acquisition local specific. On the policy side, I mean, that's trickier. I mean, we already have shared EU regulations that make some things possible, but others are not shared. And then actually some countries are using that as an advantage. You know, you have countries saying, you know, we're, we're the crypto country now, or, oh, we're the drones country now. I think that's going to help one or two countries individually. I don't think it's going to help the EU market overall. So making some progress there, I think is going to help the founders. I'll just ask one question and we might have to cut it out because we're spending too much time with you. Uh, you touched on a very important point in my perspective, and that's the flexibility of the workforce and VCs helping getting talent to the startups. We're right now sitting here chatting over Zoom in the middle of covid all over. And I'm so interested in hearing what have you seen happening on the European scene when it comes to creating a remote workforce and actually being able to bring that in to the post-COVID times? I, I mean, I think it still remains to be seen, to be honest. I think the question is still open as to if COVID actually made a pivotal difference in how the teams will be distributed or not. I definitely feel like a lot, in many cases, it did and that you will see many companies becoming fully remote from now on and not coming back to the office. Other cases, that's not going to happen. In a way, I think it helped Europe in that if that becomes the de facto paradigm, now we're all playing with the same rules. So now that topic of high density in Silicon Valley being an advantage there, not being an advantage anymore, right? And I think, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad. It is what it is. And I think it will probably help you more than the US. So going back to our planned script and to the quick file round, yeah, sorry. Sorry, which guys. wasn't that quick, <laughs> and that's our fault. The third and last question, and one of my favorites to ask all our guests is what can we expect in the future, obviously from 500 startups, but also from yourself, Pedro Vieira. Yeah, well, so from 500, you should expect what you've always expected, which is support for founders around the world in multiple ways, with capital, obviously, but also with expertise and training and network. And we're today probably the largest platform for early stage VC. You account not just for the capital, but for everything else. From Pedro, again, the same. I'm always here to help. I always tell this to my friends and they tell it to me too, which is I don't know how to say no. So I continue helping founders in any way, shape or form with often more time and know-how than capital itself, but both will continue available. I am intended on being a full-time investor, so I will continue the journey with 500 now, with some other funds in the future, who knows? But I'll be around to help and people know where to find me. Pedro, it was great chatting with you today and we wish you the 
best in all the future endeavors. You can always count on us at the EUVC and we're always looking forward to keep in touch with you. Thank you so much for hosting me and, and congrats on your initiative. I think that we need more of this in Europe. And since we've been talking about you versus, versus Europe, it's amazing to have a podcast like this and congrats again on your initiative and best of luck with the future. This was our interview with Pedro Vieira, Europe and Africa lead at 500 Startups. If you would like to see more from Pedro, I suggest you follow him on LinkedIn. I must give huge kudos to 500 Startups because they were super kind in forwarding us towards Pedro and this talk has been really, really interesting. We thank you for listening to The European VC, the go-to place for insights into European VC. Visit theeuropeanvc.com to hear more from us. If you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please do reach out to us. And if you're about to raise an international round, we're happy to introduce you to relevant VCs. We are always there for you.